0: Our Old Testament passage today picks up in Job chapter 4. Now remember, God has talked about Job and said, this is a blameless man in all his ways. Satan kept wanting to challenge Job and wanted to say, I'm going to do this, telling God to do this or that to Job. And God just said, he's in your hands. God is never the one who brings the pain. That's always the devil. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, if one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Yet who can keep from speaking? Wow! Now, when Job's friends begin to speak, these aren't really his friends. Okay, these with friends like this, you don't need much of a demon around you. All right. I want you, as we begin to go through this, to see how people can hurt you when you're down. How people will come by, and you know what? Maybe their motives, they're maybe their their motives are good but their head's all wrong. I don't know. But sometimes they say the cruelest things to you when you're really hurting. And listen to how Eliphaz opens. If one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Immediately, he's, he's, immediately he shows a bad attitude. You know, a friend comes by and says, can I talk to you for just a minute? But immediately he's on the attack. So the bad attitude is shown by instant attack. Now when people walk up to you and they say they're here to help you, and the first sentence out of their mouth shows attack, you know what, just get ready because here it comes. Now they may go tell everybody else they came there to help you, but when their first words are attack, you need to realize these people are not your friends. Yet who can keep from speaking? Behold, you have instructed many. You have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him who's stumbling. And you have made firm the feeble knees. But now it has come to you. Ah. Your turn. Now this is not God speaking to them. This, this, is, this is the world challenging Job, kicking him when he's down. And one of the things I teach people is, is when people kick you when you're down, forgive them later, but don't let them close to you again in your life. Forgive them. Pray for them. But don't let these people close to you in your life. They're not friends. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. In other words, more attack. More condemnation. Is not your fear of God your confidence and integrity of your ways your hope? Wow. Sarcasm. Is not your fear of God your confidence? You've told us all of this. Now live it. Your integrity of your ways, your hope? (laughs) Remember, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? Okay, this is false. Because you know what, sometimes we do see the innocent perish. I mean, please forgive me, sometimes sometimes good people suffer. But here's, here's a religious attack of condemnation. As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Okay, here's the accusation. By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they are consumed. The roar of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, the teeth of the young lions are broken. The strong lion perishes for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. Now a word was brought to me, now a word was brought to me stealthily, and my ear received the whisper of it. Amid thoughts from the visions of the night when deep sleep falls upon men, dread came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones shake. A spirit, now there, now there you begin to get the source of this man's inspiration. A spirit glided past my face, and the hair of my flesh stood up. Now you can clearly see here, this is not God speaking. Look at that. Dread, trembling, a spirit glided past my face. The hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice. Can mortal man be right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? (laughs) Yes. Yes, they can. By faith. Now, Job, God said Job is blameless. God testified about Job. Now, here comes the accuser of the brethren. Even in his servants, he puts no trust. And his angels, he charges with error. Now, that's true. His servants, he puts no trust. That's false. God trusts his people. And his angels, he charges with error. Yeah, who is this? Who? is this talking this is the devil he had been charged with error how much more those who dwell in houses of clay that's the human body whose foundation is in the dust that's the human being who are crushed like the moth so he said listen men are not as good as angels See, Satan never got over that man was given authority over the earth and not him. (laughs) Satan never got over that man was created in the image of God and not him. So look at him putting down man. This is the devil talking. Between morning and evening, they are beaten to pieces and they perish forever without anybody regarding it. Yeah, that's the devil. Is not their tent cord plucked up with them? They do not die. That are without wisdom. Now, brothers and sisters, do you begin to understand who is inspiring Eliphaz to speak? Call now. Is there anyone who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Surely vexation kills fools, and jealousy slays the simple. I have seen a fool taking root, but suddenly I cursed his his dwelling. His children are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate, and there's no one to deliver them. The hungry eat his harvest, and he even takes it out with thorns, and the thirsty pant after his wealth. For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. But man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. (laughs) This is what the devil says. This is the devil's view of man. As for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause. Who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. He gives rain on the earth and sends water in the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands achieve no success. He catches the wise in their own craftiness and the schemes of the wily are brought to quick end. They meet in darkness in the daytime and grope at noonday as it's night. He saves the needy from the sword of their mouth and from the hand of the mighty. So the poor have hope, and injustice shuts her mouth. Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Lord. Okay, so he's been inspired by the devil, and now (laughs) religion talks about God. Now, he says some good things in here, but he also says some wrong things in here. And again, here is the attack or the accusation. Job, you're being reproved by God. You're being disciplined by God. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. He was being attacked by the devil. You see, folks, sometimes bad things happen to good people, not because you've you've sown it, but because there's just an ugly devil out there attacking you. For he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. Uh, Excuse me. No. God did not do this. Read chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Read them and see. God said, Satan, he's in your hands. He will deliver you from six troubles. In seven, no evil shall touch you. In famine, he will redeem you from death, and in war, the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the lash of the tongue and shall not fear destruction when it comes. At destruction and famine you shall laugh and shall not fear the beasts of the field. For you shall be in league with the stones of the field and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you. You shall know that your tent in peace and you shall inspect your fold and miss nothing. You shall also know that your offspring shall be many and your descendants as the grass of the earth. You shall come to your grave in a ripe old age like a sheaf gathered in a season. Behold, this we have searched out. It is true, hear and know for your good. Okay, he said, we know this. Now, he says some good things about God, but he's full of condemnation. There is no grace in this man's speech at all. There is no comprehension of salvation by faith in this man's speech at all. So he says some good things about God, and just like all accusation and deception, there's there's truth in it, and then there's falsehood. Now, Job answers. So Job has to get some words in here now. This guy has come and really attacked him. Then Job answered and said, Oh, that my vexation were weighed, and all my calamity laid in the balances. For then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea, therefore my words have been rash. He said, you know what? Some of my words, not good. And you know what? Sometimes in the hard times, sometimes our words are not good. Okay, please. Sometimes our words, when we're really hurting, our words are rash. And we just need to admit that and ask God's forgiveness. For the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poisons, and the terrors of God are arrayed against me. Job is wrong about God. God was not doing this to him. Satan was. But you see, when you've got all your friends telling you this is God, it's kind of hard to overcome that. Does the wild donkey bray when he eats grass, or the ox low over his fodder? Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the juice of the mallow? My appetite refuses to touch them. They are as food that is loathsome to me. Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would fulfill my hope, that it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. This would be my comfort. I would even exult in pain unsparing, for I have not denied the words of the Holy One, He said, God, just kill me. Forgive me. These are more rash words. Sometimes you you think that God is bringing the pain on you and you you say horrible things against God. What is my strength that I should wait? And what is my end that I should be patient? Is my strength the strength of stones or my flesh bronze? Have I any help in me? What, What resource is driven from me? He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Now this, is, now, this is Job. Job's attitude toward the friends. And I use that word friends in quotation mark. My brothers, these guys talking to me, are as treacherous as a torrent bed, as torrential rains that streams that pass away which are dark with ice and where the snow hides itself. When they melt and disappear, when it is hot, they vanish from their place. The caravans turn aside from their course, and they go up into the waste and perish. The caravans of Timaluk and the travelers of Sheba Hope. They are ashamed because they were confident. They come there and are disappointed. For now you have become nothing. You see my calamity and are afraid. Okay how people's trouble affects us. He said, you know, these friends of mine, they've seen my calamity, and they're afraid. Have I said, make me a gift, or from your wealth, offer a bribe for me, or deliver me from my adversary's hand, or redeem me from the hand of the ruthless? He said, listen, I ask nothing. He said, I ask nothing from you. Teach me and I will be silent. Make me understand how I've gone astray. He said, all right, you attack, you accuse. Facts, please. He said, I'm not going to just sit here and roll over and act like I've been living a sinful life when I haven't. Now, again, this is something you have to learn sometimes. Sometimes when you've done what's right and the devil's just tearing you up because he's the devil and people come along and Christians come along and all they can do is put you down and you know you didn't do anything wrong don't start allowing the guilt trip to come into your life he said you know make me understand how i've gone astray okay if i've done wrong you t- you show it to me but he said facts please how forceful are upright words but what does reproof from you reprove <laughs> he said there's no there's nothing there do you think you can reprove weird words when the speech of a despairing man is wind you would even cast lots over the fatherless and bargain over your friend, but now be pleased to look at me, for I will not lie to your face. Please turn; let no injustice be done. Turn now; my vindication is at stake. Is there any injustice in my tongue? Cannot my palate discern the cause of calamity? He said, "Cannot my the palate of my the roof of my mouth discern my calamity?" He said, "Listen, I've taken a look at my life. There's nothing wrong. Leave me alone." Okay, now you're beginning to see Job in a very different way than sometimes you've seen it. You have to learn to read things properly. Job chapter 7, verse 1. Now please remember some important things with me. Number one, Job declared by God blameless. Okay? Number two, Satan told God to destroy Job. Number three, God said, in your hands. Okay, this was, all of the things that happened in Job's life was not God, it was in Satan's hands. Number four, Job's friends condemned him. And as we saw yesterday, his the condemnation of these guys had a lot of beautiful spiritual things to say about God, but they were always very accusatory to Job. Now, you're going to see this as a a common theme through Job, where they will say these wonderful things about God, but the accusation that comes against Job is pretty strong stuff, all right? Now... Job made mistakes in here also. We see that Job gets very discouraged and, you know, he begins to say some things that are not right. And at the end of the book of Job, God corrects him. Now, with that overview, let's pick up with Job's response. Verse 1, "'Has not man a hard service on earth, and are not his days like the days of a hired hand? Like a slave, he longs for the shadow, and like a hired hand, he looks for his wages.'" So I am allotted, months of emptiness, and nights of misery are apportioned to me. Now, th- th- those are the words of a discouraged, bitter man, because he had had a very wealthy life. When I lie down, I say, when shall I rise? But the night is long, and I am full of tossing till dawn. My flesh is clothed with worms and dirt. My skin hardens and breaks out afresh. See, he's in a lot of physical pain. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is a breath, but I will never again see good. L- listen to this discouragement. Now again, you see pain in his life. You see loss of sleep because of all these boils that are all over his body. And folks, there's nothing worse than trying to sleep when you're in pain. So this pain that Satan had brought upon him, and the the condemnation of his friends has had an effect. The eye of him who sees me will behold me no more. While your eyes are on me, I shall be gone. As the cloud fades and vanishes, so he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. For he returns no more to his house, nor does his place know him any more. Therefore I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Now, brothers and sisters, this you see corrected at end of Job. God really gets after him for this. But you have to understand, pain, suffering, hurt, condemnation, these things have an impact. And he says, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Brothers and sisters, you want to be careful when you feel like that. Am I the sea or sea monster that you set a guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I would rather choose strangling and death rather than my bones. I loathe my life. I will not live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are a breath. Again, the desire of pain. The desire of pain is leave me alone. He doesn't want these people to bother him anymore. So just just leave me, just leave me be. Now, those of us that have had real pain in our life at some time, We understand this. What is man that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him? Visit him every morning and test him every moment. This is Job's question of God. Job's question God. What is man that you make so much of him that you set your heart on him that you visit him every morning, and that you test him every moment. God God, why are you so interested in me? <laughs> why, why, why do you focus so much on a human being? How long will you not look away from me, nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? If I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall not be. Now, listen. Listen to the effect of condemning friends. If I sin, what do I do to you? But God had said he was blameless. But now these friends condemning him, he begins to condemn himself. He said, God, why have you made me your mark? He blames God. Again, this is why when we get to the end of Job, you see God strong talk to him about this. Why have I become a burden to you? He said, God, what have I done? to what have I done to upset you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? Brothers and sisters, God had said Job was blameless. He'd held him up before Satan as, Have you considered my servant Job, blameless in all his ways? But now Job feels like such. A horrible sinner, and he blames God for everything. Such is the effect of Satan's work. Such is the effect of condemning friends. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship.
1: He's our rescuer.
0: open up our Bibles now to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning with verse 18 today. Paul said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. So Paul was a man who believed. Now this this would be his prayer language, all right? This would be his prayer. He said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. Paul was a man that prayed in tongues a lot. So please don't look at Paul and say, I don't know if I believe in that or not. Paul did. Nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. He said, listen, you can't stand up in church and just pray in tongues all day. Okay? You, you, just, you can't do that. He said, you have to instruct people. He said, when you come to church, church is for instruction okay? Church is for instruction. It's not just getting people all excited. Church is for instruction. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature, all right? So when it comes to evil, I should be an infant. When it comes to thinking. I should be mature, okay? He said, now listen, as 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 Christians, we should not be mature in evil. We should not understand evil. There is always gonna be some naivete in the minds of Christians about sin, okay? In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. Even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Now by people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners. He's quoting back from the Old Testament prophets. Will I speak to this people? God said, I'll speak to you through foreigners. Thus, tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers, all right? So tongues and prophecy touch two different groups of people. Tongues are for the unsaved, and prophecy is for the saved. Now, this is why when people say, oh, we shouldn't have speaking in tongues in a service, we shouldn't sing in tongues in the service, it will offend the unbelievers. No, 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 the unbelievers love this stuff. <laughs> if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders and unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? Now, we can't all come together, and it's all, notice the phrase is all, whole, church, all, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever outsider enters, he's convicted by all and he's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. So falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Now, okay, this is how unsaved should be affected. by services. There should be such a manifestation of God in the place that the secrets of people's hearts are disclosed during the sermon, during the prayer time, whatever. Things are said that touch and reveal the secrets of men's hearts and they fall on their face and they worship and they declare that God is really among you. So. This happens because of the supernatural. It does not happen because of presentation. Not because of presentation. Brothers and sisters, sometimes, and yes, we should do things with excellence. I have no problem with that. But sometimes we are so worried about having a slick presentation. And everything is slick and well rehearsed. And what we really need is more of the presence of God. What we really need is more of a flow of the Holy Ghost, because that's what brings people to see that God is really among us. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, has a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. In other words, there's more than one person ministering in a service, all right? There's a hymn. There's not not secular songs. There's a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue. An interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let it be only two or three at most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. Now this is order. We should not just have people speaking in tongues one after another, after another, after another, after another. There should be only two or at the most three per service. Okay, per service. And each in turn, and let someone interpret. Okay, there has this is order. Verse 28. But if there is no one to interpret, let them let each of them, all of these two or three, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Only pray in tongues. Don't stand up and act that this is the gift of tongues. He said, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. Now notice the word weigh. You know, you you need to judge prophecy. You know, there are people that want to stand up, like we had a guy years ago came into our church and started trying to stand up and prophesy judgment over us, and I just stood up and shouted him down. You know, people need to weigh what's said. Just because somebody stands up and says something from God doesn't mean it's from God. Let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another one sitting there, let the first be silent. Okay, here's order. Order in the gifts of the spirit. You don't say, well, I was speaking first, so you be quiet. No, if another begins to speak, let the first one keep silent. Wow. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are subjects to the prophet. No one can, you you cannot say, God, Holy Spirit, made me do it. You you can't say that because the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophet. Now, there's a lot of theology in here, and I'm just trying to do this devotionally, okay? For God is not the God of confusion, but the God of peace. Peace is the absence of conflict, as in all the churches of the saints. Then he says, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission as the law also says. Wow, women. Now what does that verse mean? Is that meaning that women can't be pastors? Now if you strictly apply this the way some people apply this, women cannot even speak from the time they walk through the door of the church. I talked to some of my Baptist friends and we talk about this stuff back and forth. I said, you know, if you really believe what you say that verse means, then from the time a woman walked in the door of a church, she can't speak, she can't ask where's the CR, she can't sing, she can't lead worship. A woman must have a muzzle on her mouth from the time she walks through the door of a church. If, if that verse means what some Baptist brethren say it means, they should keep silent in the churches. Okay, if a woman is to be silent in the churches, that means no speech at all. She can't say hello to her friend. She can't look at her child and say, Halika. See, obviously it doesn't mean that. You've got Deborah the You've got Huldah the prophetess. You've got the uh, Anna in, in the, the temple at the birth of Jesus as a prophetess. You've got the seven daughters of, of Philip prophesying. Okay, so you've got all these wonderful things happening So obviously that verse doesn't mean what everybody thinks it means. We'll get into what it means when we get into our 1 Corinthians studies. If there's anything they, the women, desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now again, obviously it doesn't mean what people try to say it means. Because how can you have the seven daughters of Philip prophesying and it be shameful for a woman to speak in church. Hmm. How can you have Phoebe? How can you have deaconesses? How can you have? I mean, how can you have this? How? How can you have Paul claiming relatives who are are apostles, and one of them is a female? Obviously, it doesn't mean what people want to make it mean. Verse thirty-six. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it reached? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of God. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. But there are many churches today, no speaking in tongues, I even have relatives that We're raised Pentecostal who say, no speaking in tongues in the service. It says, do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Yep, he's taught us the decently and he's taught us the order. To close out today, we always close out with a little bit of wisdom. We're in Proverbs chapter 10. Oh, my, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. So what flows out of the righteous? What flows out of the righteous? Life, not criticism and condemnation and attack. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Wow. Yeah, they, they may talk, talk sweet words, but they're concealing violence. And when you prick them a little bit, you see the violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers over all offenses. All right, when you see strife, strife flows from hatred. Anytime you see people stirring up strife, it's flowing from hatred in the heart. But love covers over all offenses. When you love people, eh, you're not interested in, well, I'm going to expose the sins of Sister Cruz because let me tell you. No, love covers over all offenses. You don't don't go around and just – the illustration is children, all right? All of you who have children. When you love your children, sometimes children say mean things and they say harsh things. You don't hold that against kids for the rest of your life. Love covers over all offenses. At some point, you just got to understand, am I going to walk in hatred or am I going to walk in love? On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. But rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. (laughs) Wow, okay. Those lacking sense shall be beaten with rods. In other words, if you're going to be a person who goes around and speaks a lot of nonsense you know what you got some hard days ahead the wise lay up knowledge but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near now new living translation says but the babbling of a fool invites disaster you you get a fool just shooting his mouth off it always brings pain and suffering to them and to their families. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. Now, wow. Wealth equals protection. You know, when God has been good to you and you have your own home, have you noticed even during the lockdown you feel more secure? But have you ever thought about the folks living in Aroma? (laughs) There's no social distancing in Aroma, folks. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. New Living says the poverty of the poor is their destruction. Anybody who wants to walk around and say poverty is a blessing has never been poor. Now, most of us, COP, we've come out of poverty. All right. We we remember in this generation the poverty from the 70s and the 80s and even the 90s. We we remember those hard days. You didn't have proper healthy food to eat. You didn't have vitamins. You didn't have money to take your kids to the doctor when they didn't feel good. You didn't have money for, for proper, you know, roofing on your house and the water would come in. And when it rained outside, it rained inside and you just put the pots underneath it, you know very unhealthy living conditions. Everything about poverty destroys life. There is nothing redemptive about poverty. Let me say that again. There is nothing redemptive. There is nothing good about poverty. Now, please, I grew up poor, so I have a little understanding of this, and I hate poverty. Because you know what it's like when kids can't go to the dentist, when kids can't go to the doctor, when kids can't get proper medical treatment, when kids can't wear proper clothing, when they can't wear proper shoes, when they're walking around barefoot in all kinds of nastiness and cutting their feet and stepping on nails. There's nothing redemptive about poverty. And many of us have lived there. A rich man's wealth, the wealth of the rich is their fortress. There is safety and security for a family. And prosperity. So, you know what? I'm a prosperity preacher. I'm not an avarice and greed preacher, but I am a prosperity preacher because it provides a lifestyle that's protected. The wage of righteousness leads to life, but the gain of the wicked to sin. Now notice, New Living Translation, the earning of the godly enhance their lives, okay? Having some prosperity enhances your life. It makes life better. So the earnings, what you earn, improves your life. Now, notice, this is for the righteous or for the godly, all right? So when a godly person earns, it enhances their life. But it says, the gain of the wicked to sin, new living, but evil people squander their money on sin. The difference is not in the money, the difference is in how money is used. A righteous person uses their money to enhance their life, to improve the quality of their life. A wicked person uses their money to gamble, to get drunk, drugs, prostitution, sex, sin. And there's no, there's, no, there's no enhancement to life. This is one of the reasons that we talk about the gospel lift. And that's a nice, big, fancy theological word that talks about when a person gets saved, immediately you see an improvement in their quality of life. It's one of the first steps to prosperity. And that first step to prosperity is how money is used. A person gets born again, they stop the gambling, they stop the drinking, they stop the drugs, they stop throwing money away on sin, and instead, the money that God gives them is used to, and I love that New New Living Translation, to enhance their life. All right. We need to close out today. We've gone maybe
1: a little too long. We'll see you in services this weekend.